Good morning, friends. If you turn with me, please, to the book of Joshua, we're going to read from chapter 14, starting at verse 6. Joshua 14, starting at verse 6. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me? I was forty years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land that is the land of Canaan. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. That's an important sentence. Uh, According to the convictions that he carried in his heart. But my fellow Israelites, the other chaps who'd gone with him, made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. While Israel moved around about in the wilderness, doing lap after lap in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now get hold of these words. Now give me the hill country. Some translations say, give me my mountain. Give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the, the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But the Lord helping me, I love this, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Everybody say it together. Wholeheartedly. Uh, Sermons are born in many different ways and different times. But this one actually had its beginnings a few weeks ago where Mark spoke to us from Joshua chapter 4. And uh, it was the story of Israel coming to a swollen river, the River Jordan. It was in flood. 
and they had to cross it to get into their inheritance. And then the, the instruction God gave Moses was for the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant to actually come to this flooded, swollen river, put their feet in it, and then something would happen. And it did. The waters parted, pushed back to a place called Adam a few miles further back. And uh, it must have been quite a sight to see that. Uh, it wasn't just a narrow little pathway. For, don't forget, there were probably a million plus people that had to cross. So it would have been a wide expanse of dry riverbed that they crossed over. But the point was this. They had to step into what seemed to be an impossible object. And the challenge that Mark gave us that, that morning was, we need to take steps into our inheritance as a church, and uh, we need to do that as individuals as well, knowing what we felt in our hearts God had laid before us, what we had to inherit and possess. After he'd spoken, he invited all those who felt they wanted to, to, to as, as the apex and also as individuals wanted to move into uh, the inheritance that God had given them as individuals and us as a church to come forward for prayer. And a number of us came forward. And uh, I, I stood round about where Jill is there and I looked at the group in front here. And there were many gray-haired Caleb's standing up here. Some of us had less uh, thatching, but nevertheless still gray. And uh, the, the, as, as I looked at that, it impacted me. And, and, I, and, and the, the, the name Caleb seemed to drop into my spirit. And I immediately thought of this man that we've just read about. And... Uh, 85 years old, and he, he, he comes before Joshua and reminds him what their former leader had said to him 40-odd years ago and says, I am now ready to take my inheritance. And I looked at the gray-haired Caleb standing here, and my prayer for them and myself was, Lord we need to take our mountains. And I want to say to all of you here this morning, this is not necessarily to do with whether you have gray hair or not. It is the principle that God has a purpose for every single one of you. The problem is when, when somebody gets up in the front uh, uh, and, and, and speaks from the pulpit, people automatically seem to think, well, that's that kind of calling, you know, to, to preach. And, and that's, that's not true. We, some of us are called to a full-time office in the church, but the majority are called to a God-given purpose in the ordinary affairs of life. There are different spheres in society. Uh, there's the family, there's the church, there's the government, there's arts and entertainment, there's business. Uh, 
Uh, about seven of them, all in all, I can't remember all of them right now. But in every single one of those spheres of society, you fit in somewhere. And there is a task for you there. You may never become the CEO of a company. But where you sit at that desk, as you interact with your colleagues, there's a task for you where you are to introduce the kingdom of God through who you are, what you stand for, and to make a difference in that place and in that position. If you're called to be a brilliant mum, then you're fulfilling a vital task as you go about your duties, caring for your family, a dad, a teacher, a doctor, Whatever your calling is, God has a purpose for you in it. And so don't think only in terms of gray-haired Caleb's, but look upon yourself as a 40-year-old Caleb as well. Someone who has a destiny in God. A destiny to fulfill. And I want to say this because I believe it's important. God has an inheritance for you that he wants you to fulfill. There is a mountain God wants you to possess. And if you are actively pursuing that, then there's a certain blessing and anointing that rests upon your life as you seek to be excellent in a kingdom that's advancing forcefully and you want to be the very best representative in that kingdom, in that area where God has placed you. Those skills you have, those desires that you have in your heart. You know, Psalm 37, I think it's around about verse 4, talks about delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, you can look at that verse in two ways. There's the first way where most folk think of it as, well, uh, I have a desire and as long as it is uh, God-given and God-honoring, God's going to help me see that desire fulfilled. But there's another way of looking at that verse and I actually lean heavily in this direction. That the desires you have in your heart, if you are following God with all of your heart and you want to see uh, the, the fulfillment for the reason why you were born fulfilled in your life, if you are following him, then the desires in your heart are God-given. He gives you the desires of your heart. So my friends... God has an inheritance for you, and he wants you to possess it. If you feel that there's a loss of uh, spiritual momentum in attaining that and seeing that fulfilled in your life, then I need to ask you, what is slowing you down? What has discouraged you? What, what is it that is preventing you from seeing the fullness of that being fleshed out in your existence? And as we look at the life of Caleb, I think we can learn a few things.
There's an occurrence that uh, so often happens that, that I, I want to mention it this morning because I, I see it here in the life of Caleb. And it's what I will call life throwing some curveballs at us. That's actually an, an American expression, and it refers to baseball where the pitcher throws the ball and manages to swing it in the air uh, to confuse the batsman, and he misses the ball and can't hit the home run. Well, uh, perhaps we need to think in terms of cricket. These guys come and they bowl an in-swinger or an out-swinger, and uh, they very, they're very good at that. And again, the purpose is the same, to confuse the batsman. But I'm going to use the term curveball. Life throws curveballs at us sometimes. And by that I mean the unexpected, the surprising, even the disruptive. We certainly hadn't planned for it. Here we are, moving along in the direction we feel God has pointed us in. And, and we, we, we're eager and keen to, to see progress in that area and in those skills. And then something happens. Plans grind to a halt because someone else messed it up. Not you, someone else. Something outside of your expectation. The surprising, the unexpected, the curveball happened and, and, and here you are now. And it may have cost you money, it may have cost you time and effort. But it certainly wasn't your fault. And that's exactly what we see happening in the life of Caleb in Numbers 13. He alludes to the time when he and Joshua were sent by Moses together with ten other fellows into the promised land to have a look at it, to spy it out and see what it offered and see what the the obstacles could be and then to come back and report to to Moses what what, what they discovered. Ten of them acknowledged that it was a great land. They said it it is indeed a land flowing with milk and honey. And they even brought back some of the grapes. and, And the cluster had to be carried by two men. The grapes were that large. But, they said, the people are large. The Anakites are, are giants. Their, their cities are so strong. They're so fortified. We can't see how we possibly can overrun this, this nation. And Moses, uh, rather, jo- uh, I'm going back in time. Um, Joshua and, and Caleb delivered a good report. They said, no. Yes, it's true, they are large, and their cities are fortified, but God helping us, we can overcome it. Remember what he said? 
He said, I, I gave a report according to my convictions. What were his convictions based on? The promises of God. What God had said to them as a nation. God had told them, I'm going to give you a land. A land flowing with milk and honey. You're, you're, you're going to inherit vineyards you haven't planted. You're going to live in houses you never built. That's what God had told them. And that's what, what, what Joshua and Caleb were standing on. They were standing on the promises of God to them. But others were overcome by what they saw. And this is the challenge, my dear friends. This is the challenge. It is easy to trust in what we can see. We can touch it. We can see it. But the challenge comes, the challenge of faith that Mark referred to earlier on this morning, when we have to trust God because of what he said. And that is my, my heart's desire this morning, that the flame in your heart will burn higher when you, when you think of what God has laid before you, what you, you know, that arena, that sphere in society where you are operating. And God has given you a, a, a commission to, to be salt and to be light, to make a difference in those arenas. If I were to take a pinch of salt, just a pinch of salt, and put it on your tongue, you would be influenced. If we were sitting in a totally dark room and someone walked in with a candle, what a difference that would make for all of us here. And we are called to be salt and light in this world. There's no doubt about it that we are, but that we are living in a difficult time. The challenges are pressing in on us almost on a daily basis. But are we to buckle at the knees? Are we to fall down and cower in the corner because they, they seem to be like the, the, the Anakites? They are huge. Places we have to enter seem to be fortified. How are we going to get there? How are we going to make it through this? I don't see any open doors. That is just the time when what you can see needs to be moved aside and you need to turn in faith to that which you cannot see and believe God for what he has said. That is a true expression of faith. That promise, that, that sensing of what God wants you to do with your life, that promise is invisible. God didn't come and write it on the wall. How we would love him to write on the wall for us. But he didn't write on the wall for you to see it with your physical eyes. It's just a knowing that you know deep down in your knower 
This is what God wants of me. It's invisible. And the only way you can bring it into fruition in your life is through faith. You receive it by faith. What is the lesson? We gain our inheritance by trusting his word. Why? Because he's completely trustworthy. He's never failed yet and he will not in the future. Listen to just two, two witnesses from the word of God. 1.17. He, speaking about God, does not change like shifting shadows. Samuel 15, 29. He is the glory of Israel, does not lie or change his mind. He does not lie or change his mind. What he said to you last year, five years ago, ten years ago, even longer. He does not change his mind regardless of what the circumstances are that you are facing. His heart for you remains the same. It is what it was then, it is today. He is not a man that he should change his mind. Caleb understood that. And so we see that apart from the fact that he trusted what God had said, he displayed on the basis of that trust. And this is what I, I, I urge you to, to, to exercise yourself in. Be passionate about what he said. Don't only trust. That's great. But be passionate about what has been said to you. I find that in his life, after 45 long years, he's still passionate. You know, it comes out in his wording. Let me read it to you again, verse 10 of Joshua 14. Now then, he's speaking to Joshua now, and he's reminding Joshua. He says, now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since then when he was already 40. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. And that day was over 40 years ago. He hasn't lost his passion. He still is ardent about accomplishing it and achieving it and, and, and possessing it as he was over 40 years ago. I don't know how many of you remember that old song, but it says, I have decided to follow Jesus. It goes on and says, the world behind me, the cross before me. And then it concludes with these words, though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Oh, may God give us that same spirit. The spirit Caleb displayed. May we have with fixed 
put a, fix our gaze on, on, on what God has called us to be and to excel in that arena. I also want to encourage us this morning to let the promise of God drive us on. You may not like the word drive because it could conjure up pictures of a whip cracking over your head. But I I like it. I like like to be driven by the promises of God. At times, because of circumstances, we find ourselves deeply challenged in what we believe. And it's so easy, so easy to just flip over into a philosophical viewpoint of what is happening around us. Experience might even try and tell us something different to what the truth of God's word happens to be. And it's moments like that that God help us to be driven by your promises. And I find something very interesting when I study the life of Caleb. His drivenness, is there such a word? I don't know. But his drivenness was inspired and, and enhanced by what he said. And you might be sitting there and saying, oh, here we go again. He's on about the confession of your mouth. Well, I am, because it is absolutely vital. Words have a way of shaping you and shaping your circumstances. Words are not lost. When you speak them, they don't drop to the ground and disappear. Research, scientific research has proved that sound is maintained in inanimate objects. So if we were to, to find a way of extracting those words, they can actually become a witness against us. The power of life and death, Proverbs, is where? It's in the tongue. And they, by studying the chemicals and whatever else they are able to do, that, that when, when things are spoken negatively, it produces a certain chemical which is detrimental to our health. But when things are spoken in a positive way and with love, it produces another chemical that helps us tremendously in well-being. Caleb was able to, to display a drive within him to see his hill country become his own possession by what he said. Now the Bible doesn't tell us much of what Caleb said. It only speaks three times of Caleb 
uh, actually saying something. The first was back in, in Numbers 14 when he came with that positive report and said, we are able to do it. And then 45 years later is the next record we have where he says virtually the same thing. And it's still about the promise of God. Nothing's changed over 45 years. I mean, despite the fact that, that he had to pay heavily for somebody else's mistake, that he had to spend 40 years in the wilderness when he could have got there in double-quick time, when he had to fight the majority, when he and Joshua stood alone in their conviction... when he had to face delay and disappointment because he believed what God had said and he wanted to move into it, but he couldn't because the curved balls that had been thrown in his direction. Caleb never changed his confession. He remained true to that which he had professed all of his life. He had to hold on to God's promises. No wonder the Lord says this about him in Numbers 14.24. My servant Caleb has a different spirit. Please, Lord, make all of us people with a different spirit. And secondly, he follows me wholeheartedly. Again, Lord, please help us to follow you with all of our strength, with all of our mind, with all that we are. I want a spirit like that. I want to be able to, to, to when, it, when the majority say this and go in that direction, as long as I am following the truth of God's word, I want to go where he's, he wants me to go and stand true to his word, even if I am in the minority. holding fast to God's promises. Holding fast despite the giants that, that seek to block my advance. Holding fast despite my gray hair. I went away that morning after seeing a the Caleb's all standing here, the grey-haired ones and the younger ones. And I was even more convinced than ever before that my ministry is not over. That your ministry is not over. That your calling and the reason for which you were born is not over. 
There's a mountain to possess. There's a mountain that, that God has ordained for you from the very beginning. At no point did God sit there scratching his head saying, Oh, oh dear, what am I going to give so-and-so to do? If I understand the word correctly, before you were even conceived, God knew about you and he knew exactly what you had to do. God does not crisis manage. God has planned and mapped everything out beforehand. It's called his will. And all he says is, please cooperate with me to see that will fulfilled in your life. So I want to be the kind of person that God will say of that guy has a different spirit and he follows me wholeheartedly. Hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Now, that's not just life coaching because the finish of that sentence is what matters most. Hebrews 10.23 says, For he who promised is faithful. What did he promise you, my friend? What mountain did he tell you you could possess? Hold unswervingly. Does that sound like kumsi kumsa? Does that sound like up one day, down the other? Does that sound like undecided, indecided, not just decided on anything and just going with the blows? Does that sound like it? Hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Caleb trusted God 45 years before then. And he was still trusting God in that moment 45 years later. So yes, we acknowledge that life may throw some curveballs at us, yes. But we also must make a decision to let the promises of God drive us on or provide us with a spiritual momentum. I don't know where you are today. And I don't know what you're seeing. But I pray that you will not lean on what you see, but that you will stand with both feet on what the promise of God to your life is. You might be in the wilderness right now, 
but let your heart be in the promised land. So many believers know what God has asked of them, but they treat that calling, they treat the fulfillment of that task in a way that we do window shopping. They stand outside the store and they look at it through the window and they'd love to have it. They know it's for sale, they know it's available. But they window shop the promises of God for them. We need to take some positive steps determination, passion, speaking the right things all the time and step through the door and purchase what God has given us to do. I'm sure there are many lessons that can be learned from Caleb. And uh, preachers probably more adept at it could lay out for us so many things beyond what I've mentioned this morning. But if this challenge has managed to stir something in your heart, something that says, I know there's more and I want it, then I will be so happy that I've had the opportunity to share a few words with you. So I'm going to pray. And before I pray, can I ask you something, Caleb? You're challenged, deeply challenged, by what's happening around you what you're facing. In the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of surprises, in the midst of disruption, and you're just a little unsure this morning, but in your heart, you know, I want to possess my mountain. If you feel like that, I'm going to pray, but I'd ask you to stand because I'm standing. I'm wanting all that God has for me. You've heard the expression, don't retire but refire. Well, that's me. I'm not focused on retirement. I'm focused on aspirement, aspiring to what God still has for me. And so if you want me to pray for you, just stand where you are and we're going to pray. Lord Jesus, you see all these precious people standing here and there's something that you want them to complete. You want them to get to a point in their lives where they'll be able to say, I have finished 
the course. Finished the course. You don't want anyone's testimony, Lord, to be, I nearly got there. You want them to be able to say, I have run a good race. I have finished the course. I have fought the good fight of faith. Precious Lord, I pray that that will indeed be their story at the end of it all. I pray, Spirit of God, that you will take what heaven has for each individual and that you will come and burn it into their hearts deeply. Brand them, Lord. Yes, brand them. May they ever be seen to be those who are called of God in this particular spheres of life. Bless them, I pray. May great stories and testimonies be forthcoming of one mountain being possessed after the other, of one flag being planted on the summits of, of their mountains, the flag of the kingdom of God that has advanced and that they have been forceful men and women who've taken hold of it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.